This evening, we are continuing our series looking at the Psalms of Ascent. These were Psalms that the Jewish people on their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for different festivals would have sang together as they journeyed up. And the Psalms of Ascent are actually in a very specific structure and order. They are in groups of three Psalms in each group. And apart from the very last group of three, they follow this sort of pattern. The first one in, group, in each group in general is about the troubles or issues they are facing. The second one is about God's provision. And the last one, it's almost as if they've arrived on their journey to Jerusalem, is about Zion and Jerusalem. And each of these weeks, we are looking at a different group. And we're focusing in on two out of the three Psalms. We're going to focus on one of the Psalms, which was written either by David or Solomon. And then we will also focus on one of its neighbors. Tonight, we're looking at Psalm 124 and Psalm 125. But before we come to read them, and by the way, it's on page 517 in the Pew Bible. Before we come to read them, I'm actually going to summarize Psalm 123 for you because it sets the context of the two Psalms we're looking at tonight. In Psalm 123, the psalmist is turning his eyes up to the Lord enthroned in heaven. And he's crying out to the Lord, have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, because they're starting to face persecution. They're facing scorn and contempt. So they're crying out to God for mercy. And that is the context in which we come to Psalm 124 and Psalm 125. Let's read the Psalms together. Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. It had not been the Lord who was on our side. Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the foilers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 125, a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. 
As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of the wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Psalm 124 and 125 tell us how the Lord got the psalmist through terrible times and experiences and about the security God's people have in the Lord. But I need to be careful tonight in what I say and how I approach this. Because there's some people here tonight, some people listening online, who what, in terms of where their life is and what they're going through, or in Psalm 123, or maybe in that gap between the two, they're going through a difficult and hard time in their lives, and they're crying out to God, have mercy on us and they're still going through it at the moment. You see, Psalm 124 and 125 are looking back. They've been through the hard times. Some people might be going through situations in their lives where, to borrow the words we're going to look at in Psalm 124, the water's raging around them. They feel like they're almost drowning. They're crying out to God for help, but they aren't through it yet. But when we come to Psalm 124, David is looking back. We don't know which experience of his life or maybe mixture of experiences he's thinking about, but he's been through the difficult times and he's looking back. But of Psalm 124 and 125, 124 has really grabbed my imagination. Gareth suggested last week it would be good to memorize some of the Psalms. And that's what I started to do with Psalm 124 and 25 a couple of months ago when I started looking at this. I freely admit, Psalm 125, I didn't really make much progress on. But at Psalm 124, it embedded itself in my mind. It grabbed my imagination. As I read Psalm 124, I imagine the group of pilgrims, probably an extended family group, on their way to Jerusalem. And when they come to Psalm 124, the way it is written... I almost imagine one person starting off. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, and at that point, everyone else joins in. And I would almost see in my mind, maybe they could have split up into different parts for the thens and the 
wins, and all of them join together eventually at the end with our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. But that's not the only thing which caught my imagination. It's the word pictures in the psalm really grabbed my imagination. First of all, David starts off by repeating the phrase, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. So he wants us to really know what's going to happen next. The reason the bad things he's going to mention didn't happen was because the Lord was on our side. You need to get that in your head. He repeats it. See, the people are only there today because the Lord was with them. Let's look at the imagery David uses in this psalm. He starts off by saying, if the Lord had not been on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. This is a picture of a natural disaster, of an earthquake where the ground opens up and the psalmist says, whatever experience he had in life, he almost fell into the crack, the crevice. It was close, but God was with him and got him through it. But then he moves on to a different picture. He moves on to when their anger was kindled against us, and he talks about the flood and the torrents of water and raging waters. This is another natural disaster which the children, people living in Israel, and other parts of the world be all too familiar with. Because in Israel, they've got dry riverbeds during sunny periods during the summer. And if you were to walk along those dry riverbeds, you'd be thinking, this is great. It's nice and dry, nice and safe. But if up in the mountains there's some melting snow, or maybe miles and miles away, there's heavy rain. What can happen is all that water builds up miles away, and suddenly it comes rushing down those dry riverbeds. And if you're there when the water comes, you're in big, big trouble. You'll be swept away. And that's what David says the situation he was in was like. It was as if he was about to be swept away, but he wasn't because the Lord was on his side. The Lord was with him. And that's the great thing about poetry. It can grab our imaginations and we can imagine how bad the situation was but I want you to notice something. The way it was written suggests that the bad situation 
David, the psalmist, wasn't taken out of it. He cried to God for mercy in Psalm 123, but between 123 and 24, if anything, it seems to have got worse. He's crying for mercy, but things are getting more difficult. But the Lord was with him and took him through the difficult situation. He had to experience it. It was hard. It was tough. But God protected him. God took him through it. And it's easy to say when we're in Psalm 124 that the Lord is on our side. But in life, we will go through hard times. None of us can avoid it. It could be maybe at the doctor's and they come back with those test results and it's not good. It could be in job, your manager calls you in and tells you, I'm sorry, we need to downsize. Or for us who are parents, it could be linked to our children. Maybe something's happened in their lives or maybe all the hopes we had for them in their spiritual development and they're no longer walking with the Lord. And we find ourselves crying out to God for mercy. But He doesn't take us out of that situation. But He's there to be with us, to take us through the difficult times, to enable us to carry on trusting in Him, and we get through it because the Lord was on our side. You see, quite often it's through the hard times, the difficult times, that God teaches us, that we get to know God better. God quite often uses the difficult times, if you like, to knock chips off our character, to get rid of the bits of who we are which aren't in line with what He wants for us. But God is with us to take us through the difficult times. But the question we have to ourselves tonight is, are we like the psalmist? When we look back at those difficult times, do we thank the Lord for taking us through them? Do we acknowledge what He has done for us? Then David goes on to change the imagery slightly from natural disasters to more along the lines of wild animals and issues like that. He goes on to say, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the foilers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Here David is talking about a different type of situation. 
He's not talking about God being with us through the difficulties. He's talking about God actually intervening. God who has not given us. This is God acting. Acting to stop certain things happening in our lives or getting us out of situations. Like the bird escaping from the snare of the foilers. And it's interesting, he talks about the snare is broken. God got them out, and whatever the problem was, it's broken. It's no longer and will not be an issue again. See, sometimes in our life, God intervenes and acts in His power to prevent us or get us out of situations. But the thing about this is, David's writing about experiences he knew about. But there's been many times in our lives, I'm sure, where God has not given us. God has intervened and stopped something before we're even aware of what was going to happen, what could have happened. We're blissfully unaware at times of how God has looked after us because He intervened before it affected us. Let us bless the Lord for the situation when we know He's intervened, but also give Him thanks for the times He's intervened and we're blissfully unaware. Give thanks to the God who cares for us. But now we come to verse 8 in Psalm 124. And to me, this is the key verse in both of these Psalms. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. David is saying our help is from the Lord, the Creator, the one who made heaven and earth. Heaven and earth is just the way that Hebrew people would have said everything from heaven, which is way up there, to earth, which is down here, and everything in between. The God who made absolutely everything. He is our help. But actually, he's not quite saying here the way it's written, that the Lord is our help. He's saying our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The name of the Lord is important. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean that if we say God's name, like a magic word, that will sort our problems out? The way some people misinterpreted when people pray in Jesus' name, that's something, a magical term to throw in. No, he's not saying that. Because when the Bible talks about names, it means more than just what you're called quite often. My name is Jonathan. And to be honest, I've never talked to my mom and dad about why they called me Jonathan. It could be because my dad's called David, so David and Jonathan go together. But there's no special meaning 
in my name, Jonathan. But in the Bible, quite often you find people, particularly if their names were changed, the actual meaning of the word it was changed to was significant. Because names in the Bible are associated with the person's character, what they are like, how they behave, their reputation even. In fact, we have a similar sort of concept when we speak in English sometimes. We speak about someone having a good name. Now, by talking about a good name, that doesn't mean that I say, think, for example, Alan, that's a good name, nice name. No, if I say Alan has got a good name, I mean Alan has got a good reputation. He looks, he looks a wee bit not convinced by that, but I'm, I'm sure Alan has got a good reputation. I want to assure you, Alan, you've got a good reputation. So, and then we talk about the bad aspect of a name. I don't know if you've ever had this said to you, but I've been guilty of saying this. You're in the car with your kids, and you're going out visiting. And you say to the kids, look, you have to be, yep, Joseph, I'm talking to you, you have to be on your best behavior. I don't want you ruining the family name. I'm not saying that Joseph misbehaving, which he normally doesn't, is going to cause the name McGee to get dirty and we'll have to clean it up. It means the reputation of the family. So it's the same with the name here. It's to do with God's character, who He is, what He is like. I don't know if you can read what's behind me, but I've put up some words which are linked to God's character. God is holy, loving, just, righteous, faithful. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And we could go on and on talking about God's character. We could take a whole series talking about what God is like, His character. But you see, the Lord is on our side because of who He is, what He is like. We are His people, and He, by His character, is faithful. Ultimately, actually, as Harry pointed out at one prayer meeting, He's faithful to Himself. So, He's going to be faithful to Himself and what He is like. He will be faithful to us. He will be on our side. But we need to be careful here when we talk about the Lord being on our side. That doesn't mean that God will do whatever we want. It doesn't mean that whatever scheme we come up with, that He'll help us achieve it. No, God being on our side means that He will do what is best for His people what is in line with 
his character, what his plans for us is. And that's subtly different than what we want. It's what he wants for us, and he wants the best for us. Because if we're honest, who wants to go through hard times? Who wants to have problems? If I'm honest, I really don't want problems, but sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes, to use the picture of this psalm, we almost need to drown. We almost need to be in that pressure situation where everything seems to be going wrong around us, but God's there with us because that's when God can teach us and make us what He wants us to be. The Lord is on our side means He'll do what is best for us, even if at the time we're not convinced it's what best is best. He knows. He is in control. And I believe this verse also helps us as we move in to Psalm 125. In many ways, the picture of this psalm is almost as if the children, sorry, the pilgrims have moved on their journey and arrived in Jerusalem. And their psalmist is using what they see around them as a visual aid. He starts off with the words, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. The psalmist is getting the reader to stand in Jerusalem on a slightly hill which is slightly lower than the surrounding countryside, surrounding hills. And he's telling them, you are secure. You cannot be moved like the city here. And as you look at those mountains surrounding the hill Jerusalem is on. It's almost like a walls, defensive wall, wall around the city. And that represents the Lord surrounding his people. The Lord protecting his people. But it's for those who trust in the Lord. But what does it mean to trust? When you look up a dictionary definition of trust, it is about relying on something, to have confidence in something, or to hope. But one of the key things about trusting is that trust depends a lot more on what you're trusting in than the person who's actually doing the trusting. And if I had been a bit more organized tonight, 
I could have done a live demonstration to you on trust. I could have arranged for a gantry to be put across the balcony with a pulley and a rope. And I could have got a harness on, get clipped onto a rope, and be pulled up and raised up to the height of the balcony. And I could tell you that I 100% trust in the rope. I am confident the rope is going to hold me. I have trust in the rope. And then I produce this bit of string as the rope. I could trust in this piece of string 100% to hold my weight. I could get it connected to the pulley system, clipped onto a harness, and I could get some of the strong guys here to start hauling me up. But the one thing I can tell you, if I was trusting in this as the rope, the only debate people would be having here tonight would be, would I actually get off the ground? Or is it going to snap when I'm up high? Because the one thing's guaranteed about this as a rope, it's not going to hold my weight. It is going to snap. I am going to fall. And it doesn't matter how much I say, I believe in this rope. I could convince all of you to believe in this rope, in this bit of string. But that won't do any good. It will not hold my weight. On the other hand, this rope here, I could use this rope, connect it up to a pulley, clip it on to a harness, and I could get someone to haul me up, nice, strong people, and I could rise up in the air. But I could be screaming my head off with fear, because I don't like heights. I could be crying. I could be getting upset. But just because I'm not totally trusting this rope, doesn't mean that it will no longer hold my weight. The rope is important. It is what will hold me up. How much trust I have in it doesn't matter. The only bit of trust I need is to clip on. If I don't trust enough to initially clip on, it won't lift me. But once I'm connected, it will lift me up and I will be secure. I mightn't sound very secure in myself, but I won't fall. Because trust depends on what we're trusting in. Because it's all about there, about trusting in the Lord. He is the object of our trust. He is reliable. His character is such that we can rely on him and trust him fully. We can depend on him. But the thing is, it is written to those 
who trust in the Lord, we have to initially put our trust in Him. What we initially need to do is trust in Him for our salvation because we are sinners who have gone against God. We've broken His law and we can't have a relationship with Him. But Christ died on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven. If we believe He bore the punishment for our sins, accept that we're sinners and put our trust in Him and ask Him to forgive us. If you like, if we clip on, He will forgive us and we will be secure in Him. But there's another important thing about trust, and that's in relation to our experience of it. Maybe the first time I was hoisted up on that rope, I'd be panicking, but maybe with time I get used to it. As I get to know that the rope will hold me, as I become to actually practice relying on it, and so it is with our trust in God, we need to start trusting Him in the small things. And as we experience Him working in our lives, that helps us to trust Him in the harder things. As we read the Bible and find out more about His character, what He is like, as we experience His character in our lives by praying to Him and trusting Him, that enables us to trust Him more. And that means when we do face the hard times, when we feel like we're drowning, trusting Him won't be something new. Still, it won't be easy. And it's easy to say it when I'm standing here now in a nice, comfortable church, but God will help us to trust Him. But we need to trust Him day by day in the small things as well as the large things. The psalmist then goes on to talk about the scepter of the wicked shall not rest in the land of the righteous. We live in a world where there's lots of evil, evil rulers, evil systems, but they don't last forever. They're not secure. They don't abide forever like those who trust in the Lord. They will come and go, but our trust is in the Lord who lasts forever. He is in control. And the psalmist ends in a prayer. He prays to the Lord, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. And he goes on to talk about the crooked people facing punishment. He prays to God at the end that God would act in line with his character, that God would would be good to those who are good and that evil would be dealt with. And that is the end of the two Psalms. But as we go away from tonight, remember our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Him being our security or getting us through the difficult times. Him intervening to stop things happening in our lives. And the security we can have, the protection we can have, it's all based on who God is. He is faithful. He is just. He is the Lord who's on our side. But we need to trust 
hymn. Before our closing hymn, let's pray. Father, I don't know who is here tonight, but Father, I pray for those in our congregation tonight who are at the stage of crying out, have mercy on the Lord, have mercy upon us, who are going through the difficult times. Draw close to them, Father. May they know that the Lord is on their side. And Father, for all of us, I pray that you'd help us to trust in the Lord. Help us to initially trust you for our salvation, but help us to trust you in the small things in life, to rely on you, and to also to rely on you when things get tough. Because, Father, we give you thanks that you are in control. You are faithful, and you will take us through the hard times. Help us, Father, to remember that, to thank you for it, and to worship you for your character. Because our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Be with us, Father. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.